0: Crowd member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Albo's most work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Debold. And that was Uber house. Thanks, Elliot. And we're here to talk about Null 9.6. Uh and so Blake's back and it's all going great. He's back in the real world. Uh no, it's more it's more out of the humanity draining fire and into the everything erasing oven, I guess. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Uh, we sort of repeat exactly how the last chapter ended, with that sort of triumphant, I'm back, and then immediately it's all, you know, Ur is pulling himself together, and he has me completely surrounded, <laughs> <laughs> you, sort of, you sort of get yeah. to relive that two seconds of, like,
0: "Yeah, uh, oh no. Yeah, yeah, it gets you right back in the mood. Um, yeah. Yeah, and-, and- Yeah, we're back to all the kind of weird, unfathomable, gross imagery that comes along with Ur. Uh, We haven't heard the word sloughing in a long time, so, you know, thank God we're back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, uh, considering Blake never even really looks at Ur directly, it's amazing (laughs) how visually fantastic these Ur fights are. Yeah. Um, Like, I've pulled out one line from from a bit later just to talk about here, uh, where Blake's sort of in his little... Uh, protective area and then uh attacks him from above and it says a column of darkness fell right in the middle of the diagram meat and gnashing teeth spilling <laughs> out like water yeah uh, and it's just like so cool and nonsensical <laughs> <laughs> like like it um it, it sort of makes me realize you know in rose senior's little book excerpt uh in 7.x mm. she was talking about how like what we see as the results of demonic action aren't actually what they did. It's like the universe plugging the hole, right? So, like, if yeah, if someone gets turned to stone, it's actually more that they were obliterated and stone was just the nearest thing for the spirits to be like, oh, shit, put that there. Yeah. Um. And, and like, I, I think that's what we're seeing here with Ur. Like, I, I doubt Ur is actually all this meat and flesh and stuff, but it's- mm. It's a living thing, and when it's inhabiting space, like the spirits don't really know what to do, so they're just like just picking see flesh random there. imagery of yeah. of like flesh and just being like, oh, I don't know, and 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 throwing it in. Like it's it's really cool.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting theory. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it practically changes how Blake fights it, but it it does explain its weird grossness.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, and I think, especially because when we saw it in the drains last chapter, I don't think it was ever described as anything more than just darkness, mm. uh, and the spirits aren't really as active in the drains, yep. so... makes sense. You know, in in actuality, I think maybe it's darkness, and the spirits sort of manifest this as weird flesh monster, uh, mm-hmm. which is is so cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and the start of this fight, I suppose, has a a very kind of... It It's very slow in an interesting way. Like, it has this real vibe of uh, Blake and Ur kind of sizing each other up a bit before uh, before the fight really kicks off. Um, like, kind of animalistic stalemate, where as long as Blake stays still, Ur, Ur is also just going to kind of stay still and thing, until things pop off.
1: I, I almost pictured it more like that bit in a fight scene where... Um... Like if it's a one-on-one fight and there's like a flash or something and and both people get kind of stunned and mm. there's sort of this race to like get your get yourself back uh. on, on both legs. Mm. Um, like they're both sort of coming. You know, Blake is re-registering with what it's like to exist, and <laughs> er is kind of coming back from the the Light God, and they're sort of they're in this almost race to recover to the mm. point where they're ready to start fighting, and they're trying to you know take stock of their surroundings and where they're at. It's um. It's a it's a slow but tense start to the fight. Yeah. It gets um, you
0: kind of primed for some of the more intense action that's gonna happen later.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh and then of course like Blake kind of takes a, a good chunk of this time where he's prepping to notice how, you know, without all the loud sounds and the drains, which I'd actually forgotten about, um a- as well as like the fact that the drains are so dark, he he's mm-hmm. finding it easier to see and hear. <laughs> um <laughs> Even amongst all the earnest, just, just being back in the world, and I mean, you know, he's now out of the drains, and he's seeing and, and hearing more clearly, you know, it's it's mm. a metaphor.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's a metaphor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. it seems like he's kind of, yeah, he's come back, I I don't know, like more awake in a few senses. I mean, this is an example, but later on he also kind of feels like he's, I don't know, I don't know how to quite put my finger on it, just kind of more alert than he was before. He went into the drains, and definitely then when he was in the drains. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, you know, because it's packed, the, the line between metaphor and reality is, is a blurry one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just the, the imagery of him coming out of the drains, and thanks to how dark and, and loud the drains were, he can now see and hear cle- yeah. cl- more clearly, But despite not being fully functional. Like, that's, you know, he's also thinking more clearly because he he's more accepting of reality, like, you know, it's it's just, yeah. it's good. Yeah, um, it's good. <laughs> there's also a little bit where, like, he's aware of how massive Ur is now. Um, Like, he, he describes Ur as very massive, and it reminded me of what Isadora was talking about in 7.x. Like, I'm wondering, like, is this some cool new other sense TM that he has? Mm. Um, I don't know. He can now kind of sense Ur's massiveness a bit more. Yeah, like, I I... I I don't know what to do with it, but it stood out to me as something where I was like, "Oh, you know, is this hinting at something?"
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so Blake kind of looks around and sees the only small refuge is a little bit of crisscrossing light that's coming in through the windows. Um, he kind of dives into that, and it gives him some uh, very tentative protection from Earth, in which he can kind of scheme his way out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such a blatantly tr- wait temporary position. Yeah. Like, at the very least, the sun is going to set in, like, what, a few hours? Tops? Yep. Uh And even before then, the, the pattern's going to get distorted uh, pretty quickly. So it, it's very much this spot where it's like, okay, cool, now I've got, like, five more minutes before I die. What, what can I do?
0: Yeah, and I'd kind of forgotten, like, obviously a lot of the things in this story feel like Blake is on, you know, walking the razor's edge with some of this stuff, right? Mm. Um, but fighting uh like it reminds me like it's so fighting Ur is so tentative. Any protection you have is feels so flimsy, um, more than anything else. Uh but yeah, this is like one of the shoddiest <laughs> defenses that Blake has ever had.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously he didn't have much choice this time, but if you stopped walking right into the middle of Ur's factory, um uh, yeah, your <laughs> position wouldn't be so tentative, Blake. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, but I think the thing that really stands out to me—we may as well talk about this now before we get into it—is mm. um, the language of Blake's narration. I think has noticeably changed compared to the previous fights. He feels less human. I don't know that that sounds like it sounds like there's negative connotations when I say it like that. But you know, mm. like he's just like the word choices and, and the way things are phrased. It it feels like less frantic. Um, like there's one line I've pulled out here where it says. Um, and this is from a fairway forward where he's drawing some diagrams, and he says, "Er, uh, lunged for me as I drew the fourth line. On a level, I'd expected it. On another level, I'd made the mistake of letting the shadow I cast give him give him an avenue for attack. I managed to pull my arm back inside the diamond, and Er didn't pursue." And, and like, I don't know. That was just a very like emotionless passage, yeah. I guess, for me. Like, like, there's none of this like, "Oh shit!" Like panic. It's just. He's almost kind of analytical in the way he's like, oh, I have made a mistake.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I didn't notice this until you pointed it out. But it is is—it is there. It's its his... Yeah, I guess it's him kind of, I don't know, adapting his mindset to the other mindset of uh, yeah, you know, not, not worrying so much about your fucking meat <laughs> suit.
1: Well, he talked a lot last chapter about how he felt less afraid. Yeah. And in this chapter, I really felt that. Like, he... He didn't feel as afraid. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, the other thing is, of course, Blake is back with the hyena sword. Uh, and it's back to its old, half useful, half annoying self. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, literally, right? Um, <laughs> it it very much like alternates between helpful and uh, a hindrance, which is <laughs> great. I don't know. It's yeah. it's such a dick of a sword. Ah, uh, and
1: there's something. There's something kind of poetic about, you know, the the hyena being his his last thing that he's fighting Ur Mm. with, uh, considering, you know, at least in my mind, they're still framed together and how they were introduced to the story. Mm. Um, But, like, I really love this bit where Blake is sort of holding the hyena and just sort of swinging wildly, and Ur manages to grab it, and they enter this weird uh, tug-of-war over the hyena. Yeah. Like, the whole time I was thinking, mate, just let it go. Like, fuck the hyena, honestly. Um, Which, you know, again, another example of why I would be dead and uh, Blake is not. Because the hyena turns out to be a pretty useful tool.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. And I'm kind of... It's interesting that he does hold on to it. Like, I guess he's desperate to hold on to any kind of tool that he has. But it feels like he's getting dragged out of the circle, right? It feels... I don't know. I'm with you. I definitely wouldn't have held on to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the hyena proves to be pretty important to this fight. Uh, he he kind of realises that he can uh, reflect light into Ur through the, the reflective edge of the hyena, which is kind of surprisingly effective sometimes. Sometimes it actually doesn't work and Ur just jumps into it and uses it to get a bit of an advantage. <laughs> uh, but Blake is kind of fighting back Ur, uh, and then the uh, a cloud passes in front of the sun, meaning that the light forming his protective diagram is even less... You know, even even more temporary than we previously thought.
1: Yeah, which just sort of takes that feeling of, oh, you know, we have an hour or so to, like, no, nah, th- like, this is so flimsy, he's got minutes at best.
0: Yeah, it really advances the timeline, right? Yeah. Um. So the other thing that keeps happening throughout this is uh, Blake is taking more and more damage from Ur, um, and he kind of addresses this in the line where he says, I could feel my tattoos creeping in to replace the flesh that had been torn away. <laughs> so it definitely just seems like Blake is like full on accepting, like, oh, we'll just let the spirits shore up my defenses and I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, I don't know. It feels like a not a good long term plan.
1: No, I mean, this is really glamour 2.0. Uh, like, sure, it keeps him in the fight now, but he's building up, uh, you know, sort of health debt. um he he, you know, we'll see later how how much this is already starting to affect him. But yeah, this is this is not a not a uh not not something he can keep doing.
0: Yeah, and it kind of makes me feel like he has the mindset of like uh, not needing to plan for the long term. I guess is a way of putting it. Yeah, look, well, I mean, honestly,
1: I'll give him a bit of a pass for the uh, fight because uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do yeah, in those sure. situations. Uh, but like, this is very much something where. You know, by the time he got to the apartment, I would have been freaking the fuck out and trying to figure out how to reverse it, uh,
0: whereas it doesn't seem to bother Blake as much as I feel like it should be. Yeah. Um. So Blake is kind of scoping out his surroundings uh, and he sees a broken window and he realizes this is probably not a way out, but maybe it's a tool. He runs and grabs some like rock and glass from the bottom of this broken window and kind of makes a mad dash back into the circle, making it, mm. although he kind of loses a few chunks of flesh in the meantime. Yeah, I'd
1: forgotten how much Blake always gets, like, literally torn up uh, in these sorts of <laughs> encounters. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, as we were just sort of saying, it's easier for him to shrug it off now because he's realized he's got that plan with uh, spirits insurance. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's he's not doing much for his premium. Uh, that's, that's quickly rising.
0: Yeah, I mean, do we even call that a plan? I don't know if I can call that a plan. It doesn't I don't feel like it has enough, <laughs> I don't know, planning to it. Um but, yeah, so Blake kind of sets up these little glass shards as a way to reflect some light around um it's a pretty nice move, it kind of reminds me of Blake's apartment, uh which maybe is intentional because we do go back there later on, but I don't know it's a cool little cool little trick
1: yeah i I agree i like as he started to do it, I was like, oh, neat, like you know, building yourself little corridors of safety um there's also a bit of a sense of like feebleness to it though it's like oh, little yeah. shards of glass on the ground like it it, it, again, it feeds into this, this whole thing where Blake is is hanging on by a thread for this this entire fight. Yeah. Um, but he yeah. just refuses to give up.
0: No. Um, he, he Yeah, so he's bought himself some space with this glass trick. Uh, and he kind of, he kind of, uh, continuing the thread of figuring out how to oppose Ur, he realises that creation is probably the avenue to go down here. So he starts drawing pictures in the floor.
1: I mean, this is like the most Blake- move ever like you're fighting a giant demon of flesh bits and gnashing teeth and you're going to draw it away um (laughs) yeah like this is this is the kind of creative thinking that uh is why i wouldn't last (laughs) long in this world Uh, it's so cool it's the sort of thing i don't think we'd ever see rose do Mm. um like it's such an it's such a bonkers thought it it, it could only come from blake to just be like (laughs) in, in this sort of situation be like i'm gonna draw at it like that'll show
0: him yeah, but it it works, right? Um and it's a it is it's cool it's a very cool moment of Blake making the connection to it being creation and not just light that is opposing uh um which we kind of touched on with last uh last chapter with the the lord of light and noise. Um but also as he's drawing these pictures he's drawing his life and Rose's life and it's kind of an interesting way to explore the I guess the similarities between them and the very slight differences, it kind of feels like he's accidentally forcing himself to be in her shoes a bit.
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is obviously something that's on his mind. So it's, it's not a huge surprise that, you know, this is the first place his subconscious took him when he was looking (laughs) for ideas of something to draw is, uh, their shared history. But, uh, yeah, like I, I also love how like primitive this feels like he's, it, it, I I don't know why, but for me, this just reminded me of you know like cave painting or something, right? Like he's he's in this dark place and he's just drawing little things, and that's very like I, this invoked imagery of cave paintings and like yeah. early humanity, and, and and yeah, I think that, that that's a really interesting imagery c- to tie into, you know, the the guy we just found out isn't really human. Yeah, um,
0: um, and as if we needed any more hints that he wasn't really human, he thinks to himself. 'Cause his rocks are kind of crumbling as he draws. He thinks to himself, If I chewed off the flesh at one end at the end of one finger, could I use the bone to scratch the floor? Which is <laughs> a fucking psycho thing for a human being to think. Um Yeah. Oh
1: wait, I read this and I was like, geez, Mike. Okay, we get it. You're not human, but like, come yeah. on, bro. Like, <laughs> what um, and he you ends doing? up not
0: doing it, not because it's a bad idea or anything. Of course, did it take too long? Yeah, it would just take too long to <laughs> chew through a finger. So uh, I'll just rule that one out. Then <laughs> back to the drawing board. <laughs> like, he doesn't even think to himself, like, "Oh, that's an interestingly fucked up thing for me to think." It just kind of <laughs> drops in there, and he doesn't even comment on it. Yeah, which is I mean, what. But it would it would hurt. <laughs> it would hurt so bad. It's, i mean i guess terrible yeah. playing yeah no i don't know um but yeah his his kind of draw my life challenge that he's doing here is is having an effect um ur is is basically starting to act more and more restless and reckless uh and these it's it's pretty clear that these drawings are working and blake kind of becomes a bit more confident in the fact that he's had a pretty good idea here uh for sure it, it feels like a bit
1: of a turning point where you're actually like oh he's he's doing a he thing actually it, yeah he's working
0: actually cracked it here yeah um
1: I also love the little detail of how the, the lines of the Rose diagrams are a bit thicker than the ones of his. <laughs> and he's just sort of like, oh, that's a bit weird. And it, of course, ties perfectly into that thing that, like, Mags and Sandra were doing. Yeah. Last arc, like, it, it's it's just one of those nice little details that you just like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you know, Walbo yeah. thinks about so much of this stuff. It's, <laughs> it's insane.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Blake is drawing and kind of is, he's gotten to the point where he's carved himself out a little safe spot. And in his head, he's kind of planning that he's going to be here for days drawing out pictures until Ur has no space left to go and then, I guess, just pops out of existence, goes to wherever, you know, things go when they pop out of existence, which I guess is the abyss. Um, But, like, okay, so obviously Ur is bad and Blake kind of is fighting him and it's good, but it's kind of weird to me that Blake is going to spend days here doing this. Like, it kind of feels like he's getting a bit too close to the revenge monster style of mindset um i don't know it doesn't it doesn't bode well i think
1: um yeah i mean for sure wait like, we've already brought up a number and and there's probably more like there's a lot of things going on in this chapter that sort of like uh all these hints that blake is feeling less human on on every level mm. uh and you know like this same section you were just talking about he starts to refer to himself as like a possible boogeyman uh, from from the drains. Yeah. So, I, I think we're like arc ten's going to be interesting because obviously, like where this arc leaves things off, arc ten is presumably going to be, you know, Blake trying to reconnect with his human friends, and mm. uh, y- you know, he might have some things to confront because he's in, in these situations, he's just starting to toss away his humanity, and I think he's gonna maybe have to figure out where he wants to draw the line there.
0: Yeah. I mean, he later on um. He later on kind of points out that he <laughs> he doesn't think that he will pass as human anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh and i I think it's fair to say that's not just physically it's like yeah, psych- yeah. psychologically
1: um yeah like, uh, having an insight into his head as we do like yeah. i i would say
0: yes uh so er disappears um. In an attempt to trick Blake into leaving, basically. Or maybe bargaining with him to kind of get him to leave. Being like, no, no, you can go. I won't hurt you. Yeah, no, it's the first. It's the first one. It's, it's like, <laughs> I just don't believe it's the second one. It's the um, first one. Either way, Blake doesn't go for it. So Ur kind of forces his hand, uh, like, chewing off a bunch of the roof in order to collapse rocks on onto where Blake is in his safe spot.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a bold strategy considering what that would do for his... Uh... You know his his space in the middle of the yeah. day. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So it is like it's a desperate move for Er, right? Because Blake kind of calls it out later. What you just said, like during the day, there'll be a ton of light in here, and it basically means that Er has permanently, you know, <laughs> reduced his his area to play in f- for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, So it is working. Blake is is achieving. Uh, but the rock falls down. the The roof falls down on him, and he kind of has to make a run for the exit. Uh, but Ur catches him and they struggle with Blake kind of fighting against him and eventually just giving in to his primal creation urges and yelling, uh, naming Ur, naming his victory over Ur, naming himself. Um, And it seems to have enough of an effect. The spirits or or something back Blake uh, enough that he gets free and escapes, kind of vowing to spread the word about how to destroy Ur now that he's figured it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty epic moment. Like, for me, it's sort of, it's up there with the one from just the very last chapter uh, with with the god and the drains. Like, there's this sense that he's running and he's just not quite going to make it. And he does all these little things just to help get the spirits to give him that little push over the edge. And there's that real sense of, like, they just, they give him the nudge he needs to make it as far as he needs to yeah um, it is
0: it's good i I think I like the one from last chapter more, but this one is still very epic
1: yeah I'll, like picturing him like sort of pushing through this web of <laughs> you know flesh and claws yeah. and, and limbs as he's like screaming about how he's like totally already won this and he's a boogeyman now <laughs> uh it's uh it's pretty cool
0: yeah uh yeah i it's a it's a nice moment right like opposing it create- with creation makes sense, and it's something that you know kind of was on the periphery of knowledge but Hasn't hadn't really been put together until this chapter um yeah and once once that trick was exposed it was relatively easy to defeat her he just kind of drew some stuff um and that probably explains why her is just a minor demon but still seems pretty strong i mean based
1: on what we saw in 7.x i'm like i guess i haven't seen too many other demons to know for sure but minor still seems like an undervaluation to me um You know, maybe he is sort of easily contained, but, uh, shit, man, if you can't surround him, uh, you're in trouble. Like (laughs) once he's out, once he's out of the factory, you know, like,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, I mean,
1: that's not going to be good. Um, and I mean, so I, 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 I love this bit after Blake gets out of, uh, the, the factory where he's lying there and we basically just repeat the opening few paragraphs of the arc. Uh, like Blake wakes up and there's snow in his eyes and it's going down his cheek, like e- exactly like the rain did. Yeah. Um, and it really, it really completes this sense of like Blake has finished his rebirth. Yeah. Like you know we we saw him come back to life in our eyes at the start of the arc and now we see this sort of, uh, for want of a better word, spiritual uh, equivalent <laughs> of of that. Um, yeah. You know he his rebirth is complete. He's he's made it and he's safe and and the, this. Ending the section with this really gives us that that sense. It's so cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a good moment. Um, yeah, and it, it again, it kind of feels like we've come full circle, right? Last chapter, he was backtracking through, you know, the first chapter, and now he's he's kind of got all the way back to the beginning, uh, and he's fully out. Yeah. And, yeah, so so Blake has defeated Ur, as far as we can tell, uh, and mm-hmm. is back outside um, and heads back to his apartment to kind of find out that it isn't his apartment anymore. Um, most of his stuff is there, but it, it isn't his. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, obviously, like Blake and and also, I guess,
1: using a very loose definition of defeated Ur. Uh, um, sure. <laughs> like, I mean, figured he figured out he how to talk- defeat Ur, er, at least. He, well, he keeps talking about how he won, but it, it's more like he tactically retreated, uh, I would say, <laughs> uh, at best. Um, yeah, fair. He, he made it out alive, so like, it's not nothing, but like, saying he won seems strong. Um, but yeah, so obviously, as he said, he's he's made it to his apartment and, uh, yeah, as I was, as I was just sort of talking about how the last segment ended on this whole, like, Blake's rebirth has happened now, uh, we sort of immediately cut to a whole section that's dedicated to showing us that, like, this is, you know, Blake 2.0, he can't be Blake 1.0 again.
0: Mm, mm, yeah, um... Yeah, it's kind of like we see the fallout from Blake's connections being severed, right? Um, obviously, we've seen his connections to people be severed, but uh, he's he's given up aspects of hum- his humanity, and therefore, you know, this isn't his apartment anymore. And even more than that, his his bike isn't there, and we don't really know what's happened to it. For all we know, his bike has fallen into the drains, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not the bike. Yeah. Um, no, Green Eyes now has a cool bike to ride around on down there.
1: <laughs> She's doing mad underwater motorbike stunts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, for me, this segment isn't just about the fact that we're seeing what's happened to Blake's stuff because his connections have been severed, but it's also that he can't get them back. Like, it's yeah. not, this isn't this isn't that he goes back and he's like, oh, I can like try and, you know, reclaim this stuff or, or get something similar. He this is the closest thing we sort of get to that third trial in the future that I talked about feeling like we hadn't really seen. And, and this is sort of the conclusion Blake comes to, is yeah. that his trial for his future is basically the Drains is going to be on his back, making sure that he sticks to uh, yeah. what he's learned.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like it's kind of um, permeated his life in a way that makes him think at least the Drains is is watching me. Mm, exactly. So, so it, yeah, it's not just that these things are severed.
1: It's that he's not even really allowed to try and get them back. Yeah, and that's that's what we
0: learn here. Yeah, uh, maybe the most tragic, um, the most tragic, you know, collateral damage here is his shirt has been drained. Uh, so now it's like <laughs> a drained half shirt. You know, like lost its color, lost its joy. Um, so R.I.P. Blake's shirt, uh, everyone's favorite character. Yeah, it was going through its own shit in the drains, like yeah. it had all these
1: visions of when it was a singlet, it was a whole thing. Yeah, it, it, the, um,
0: it, the shirt finally realised that its logo was backwards and it realised, oh no, I'm a reflection <laughs> of a shirt. But yeah,
1: and, and so obviously, I mean, something we, we've talked a bit about here, but, um, you know, obviously to match Blake's seemingly more inhuman uh, decision-making processes is, he, he kind of looks like a monster now, like, yep. you know, he- we we already knew the tattoo situation was getting worse throughout the chapter, but now he sort of describes it and it's like, like, this is bad. Like, he looks more monstrous monstrous than, like, Midge and Corviday. Like, yeah. he's not- he feels very other right now. He's not- he's not Blake the human or, or the vestige that realized he's not quite human. He's, like, Blake the other.
0: Yeah. His, um, his- his broken eye has, like, tattoo branches growing around and stuff,
1: um, when the birds are getting 3D there, yeah, like it's 3D tattoos, which yeah. is just, that's that's just straight up magic shit now. That's not passable as human stuff.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, he, he is now unable to pass for human basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also he has a reflection, which is interesting. Um, and well, let's talk about this when we get to the end of the chapter, because I do want to hash out the whole, is he in the real world or not thing? <laughs>
1: yeah yeah for sure i think i think that needs some um, turn, right. turning we'll over. get
0: back to that in a little bit
1: yeah but no obviously yeah so i mean that's real well that's really the end of this section is we uh you know we've had this section dedicated to showing us that blake can't have his old life back and that's that culminates in him looking at the mirror and realizing he isn't his old self anymore physically mm. um which you know that's of course it's packed it's, it's happening on both levels
0: yeah yeah um
1: i mean you could even say that with all the drain stuff right like the drains Will never leave him in, in terms of like the impact it's had on him. So physically now it's never going to leave him. Like he tries to get clean and apparently he can't now. Yeah. Um. So oh, that'd be so. Yeah. That's
0: shit. Yeah. Like that's that's that might be the worst thing that's happened. Impact so far. Mm. Um. So we jump forward. Maybe. I mean. Well, here's something. Like, are we actually skipping forward in time, or is Blake just kind of? now at the house. Does he, like, travel through the mirror? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Blake's at the house now is the short of it. And he's uh, he's uh, eavesdropping on Rose and the Cabal, kind of overhearing their conversation while he waits for the perfect time to reveal that he's back. Uh, and they're talking about Barbatorum. Um, Rose is planning to deal with Barbatorum.
1: Yeah, and I just want to read a, a quote here as, as the others sort of, uh, you know, we, we come in mid-conversation, and they sort of exposit that for us. Um and so Tiffany says, um, as in something like what was in that warehouse. And Rose responds, "Factory, not warehouse. <laughs> and no, not us. like that thing. The thing in the factory was a minor demon of the first choir, and maybe on its way to becoming moderate. I don't know. The barber is in the middle tiers of the third choir, according to the books. Mm. And it's just like, so is she being a dickhead or a dumbass? Because like, the answer mm. to Tiffany's question is clearly yes. It's just like the thing in the warehouse. It's a demon, like." <laughs> Like uh, you're splitting hairs. This is this is. I mean, that's Rose's whole response, thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's uh, it was a very Rose response, and uh, it's just uh, like sometimes uh, I don't know if she's just trying to be difficult or if she's just an idiot.
0: So Elliot, uh, Rose Junior likes splitting hairs. Rose Senior likes splitting airs. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, now I hope now
1: I hope that that's true. Just for that joke, like it's worth it now.
0: Um, no, you're right. It it really is a, an unimportant distinction there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but the thing that I like about this is um, I, I almost called her mirrors, but that's not appropriate anymore. Rose Jr., <laughs> uh, she's so keen to use Barbie, to use Barbatorum. And comparing that to, you know, back in arc one, when Blake was just kind of floating the idea of maybe talking to Barbatorum and Rose was like, no way, no how. Um, mm. She's really flipped around on that. Which kind of makes me think she didn't actually disagree, but this was just at the point where Blake and Rose would pick opposite sides of every fight, just because they are designed to d- to be opposing.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I I think she more had issue with Blake potentially dealing with Barbatorum mm. rather
0: than like them dealing with Barbatorum. Mm. Yeah, I mean if she knew he-, he was a vestige, right? It it makes sense, but considering Barbatorum probably played a role.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like uh, you 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 don't want the the guy you're competing with, uh, reality holding, uh, to, to go and talk to the, you know, the barber mm.
0: in that situation, mm. for sure. He might've accidentally broken himself up into two more heirs. Uh, who knows who <laughs> they would have been. <laughs> um, but so, uh, Blake does reveal himself, um, and the group all kind of are horrified, uh, except for Evan, who kind of steps forward. Um, Blake reaches out, but only touches his side of the mirror.
1: Yeah, and so yeah. Before we get into that, I just um, I really needed that little moment where Evan sensed something was right yep. here on, on a little level.
0: Oh, thank God! It's-
1: <sighs> yeah, it's just I needed it.
0: Yeah. Um. Interestingly, Rose says the house spirit reacts to Blake being there, which is something yeah, pretty weird. W-
1: I mean, I think I think there was some stuff to do with like the house in that sort of vein in Rose. Seniors' interlude, like way back in Arc One, where like there was this mm-hmm. sense that there was a bit more of a life to the house, and 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 Rose Rose Junior just sort of so casually brings it up here. She's like, "Oh, the house spirit," and I was like, "But what's the house spirit though?" Well, we
0: we kind like, of as like we've heard that parts of the house have been claimed as domains, right? By by yeah. previous Thorburns, so it kind of makes sense to me that like through the process of that, the house kind of builds up its own spiritual presence that then has somehow gained some form of like light sentience or connections or something yeah 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 that makes sense to me but um like
1: i want the details rose like come on
0: <laughs> yeah um so blake touches his side of the mirror uh so let's talk about this is he in the mirrorverse? like i'm kind of confused <laughs> by this like it's hard to tell right because well, the well fight he definitely against is Ur... now yeah sure at the end he definitely seems to be the fight against uh theoretically could have happened in the mirror because we know Er uh, can go through reflections.
1: Well, I think the the big thing here that makes me think that that's possible is there's that moment where he tries to shine the hyena into the darkest area, and it just hits this seemingly infinite darkness, mm. and Blake assumes that that's Er uh doing something. Maybe that was our hint that he was yeah, in the mirrors yeah. the whole time. that but, makes um, sense. Yeah, I mean, we got the impression from Rose that it was very much like, you know, where the edge of the mirror is, like, that's sort of where things end, so I don't really know what was he reflecting off while he was in yeah the mirrorverse? Similarly and he was using in- reflections so much in the mirrorverse, like That does my head
0: in a bit. Similarly, as I understood it, or at least as Rose explained it, which again could have been a lie, w- was that um, she could only be at the house or in reflections that were around Blake, which again doesn't really mm. make sense for her or for the apartment, like- Yeah, I mean, there was a bit in
1: Conquest's contest where she actually was showing more ability to move around like that. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I I mean, the assumption I'm working off of moving forward from here is that uh, Blake or, you know, other uh, powered Blake, you know, this is some new ability he sort of has. And maybe it's still limited to just the the house or something. But, you know, I I think he's kind of teleported here um, in a very similar (laughs) fashion to Rose, but he can maybe kind of do it at will. Yeah. Or or maybe he can just visit the house in mirror form from anywhere and then he sort of has to go back to his body in Toronto. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see in a chapter. No, next chapter is an interlude. So, we'll see maybe in 10. I don't know. Who knows what the format of this <laughs> book is now? It's kind of hard to tell.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming we'll find out in a chapter or oh, in two chapters, but we'll. you never know.
0: Um, That's the end of our show for today, almost, because before we go, it's time to revisit answers to our discussion question, which was asking about uh, historical figures who people suspected might have had a trip to the abyss and come back different somehow. Um, Mm -hmm. So I want to call out one answer that I absolutely loved, uh, which was from Brawl97, who talked about a, a Roman emperor Justin Justin the <laughs> which seems like a very <laughs> modern name for, for a Roman emperor I think Justinius is also what he was called um and and okay. so he was uh he, he he was you know an emperor kind of post the the fall of the Roman Empire I suppose um, uh, th- and he was kind of competent hyper competent to the extent that it uh, that the em- Empire was being built back up again um, until the Black Death came along, uh, which, uh, sorry, Black Death. It was, it was Black Death or the bubonic plague. No, it was would have been the Black Death, um, and it kind of messed up all his achievements as well as taking out a lot of people, obviously, and taking away his uh, his his kind of health and sanity. Um, and so, Brawl ninety seven supposes that. Uh, that when this disease struck, that was the point at which he kind of entered the abyss. Um, it's kind of easy to imagine diseases wiping out a lot of people and leading to some kind of abyss takeover stuff. Um, yeah. and then he, he really went off the deep end afterwards. Uh, I, I want to read out a quote from what Brawl 97 read here, wrote here, where he said, he reportedly heard voices and hid under his bed to escape them. He found servants who could competently play the organ in order to stave off the voices. Somewhat dubious sources say that he bit his servant if they didn't do this at precise intervals, and that he actually ate two of them alive at some point, which (laughs) sounds like the kind of thing that Blake would do now, which means that I I like this, (laughs) I like this uh, theory. Uh, This is basically historical fan theories, and I'm all for it.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the uh, sudden voice hearing turned cannibalism does seem quite a othery slash like yeah crazy so yeah like i can i can i can see this like i like this mm. and i've never heard of emperor justin so i really <laughs> i really like uh you know how i learn a bit of history and yeah. also a bit of
0: fake history at the same that's time that's my favorite part of these um of these discussion questions just learning a bit of history and then warping it with some packed historical i don't know slash fiction <laughs> Um, another great answer was from Groby46578, who brought up Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great always seems to show up. I know, right? He's such a practitioner. (laughs) He's very busy. Um, uh, So, uh, Groby doesn't think that he, doesn't have a specific point that he kind of slipped into the abyss, but definitely feels like it was early on in his life. Because afterwards, according to Groby, his life seemed to be kind of defined by being really driven, um, in driven to avoid the abyss. Uh, so some examples of this are the fact that he named more than 70 cities Alexandria after himself in a kind of desperate connection-forming attempt, <laughs> um, as well as the suspicious circumstances around his death where he he ate, ate and drank a lot after a kind of victorious conquest um, and just kept eating and drinking until he died. Like, even though he was kind of, according to his generals, like, talking about, oh, I feel sick and stuff, But then just kept eating and drinking, apparently, Um, which is very weird. And again, feels like it's some kind of weird shenanigans going on there, Uh, whether it's something supernatural causing this to happen or him, you know, taking his own life in a weird way to avoid something supernatural. Um, Mm. Definitely feels odd. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Um yeah. Who knows? I, I like the idea of him naming seventy cities after himself in an attempt yeah. to, to avoid slipping back into the abyss though. It's a very like practical guide to avoiding the abyss.
1: Do you think that makes him more resistant to something like Ur or um like
0: more more delicious? Mm, that's a good point. Maybe it maybe it does make you more delicious as an abyss target and therefore it's a bit counterintuitive. Yeah, um, like imagine imagine doing
1: to Blake what you did to Alexander the Great like that would have been yeah huge
0: yeah i love uh, yeah like, like Isadora's everywhere would have been very uncomfortable <laughs> yeah exactly um a- another one i liked by Kirkstane was PT Barnum um kind of pointing out that <laughs> PT Barnum was someone that was so adept at lying uh, and and Kirkstane wrote a little bit of a a, a, fa- a historical fanfic about uh, PT Barnum never being believed when he told the truth and so he traded away his ability to tell the truth in order to be believed when he lied um Which, like, I was looking into P.T. Barnum more, and it does feel very on point, um, came from humble beginnings and presumably got abyssed early on in his life, similar to Alexander, Alexander, um, and then became very obsessed with, like, exploiting people, especially people who had, like, physical abnormalities, um, Mm. Which feels pretty drainsy i mean we we explicitly saw in the drains that everybody was losing their their physical normalcy, and so I can easily see Peter Barnum kind of come- getting accustomed to that and trying to uh i don't know monetize that when he gets back,
1: yeah well you know he he uh maybe he came out of the drains with some sort of fascination or like like you know twisted sort of love for the drains, yeah and that was yeah you know, that was how he expressed it,
0: yeah, um another thing about him though is. He he really seemed to have a lot of bad luck over his life. Like a lot of buildings that he set up burned down a lot of times. Um, and maybe, you know, the, the rational skeptic person would say, oh, like he worked a lot with fire because he was doing circuses and, and shows and stuff, which is, yeah, fine. But I kind of rather think of it as some kind of abyss style thing following after him, causing bad luck throughout <laughs> his life. Um, I think that's yeah, a more that, well, that,
1: sounds, that sounds more plausible to me as well. Yeah, I'll yeah. buy it.
0: <laughs> um, one final one I want to call out is uh, Ju- 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 Juanson. I guess I'm not sure how to pronounce that one. Juanson. Um, Johannes. Johan- Johannes. Yes, points out. Uh, <laughs> I-, I kind of was talking about, and I really like this. I it wasn't talking about a specific person, but talking about kind of uh, the Battle of Verdun, a war from World War One, a battle from World War One, um, and how it was kind of horrific enough that it felt uh, like it was basically barely a step removed from the abyss and there were probably people being pulled or bombed into the abyss there. Um, and then kind of connects this to the fact that 30 years later, a lot of Hitler's most zealous supporters in world war two were former soldiers who theoretically could have fought in the battle of Verdun, kind of painting this narrative of like horrific acts of war, sending people to the abyss where they kind of lose aspects of their humanity and come back not whole, which I think is a very interesting, uh, hmm. Thought And I think the idea of war as a, a place for people to come into the abyss makes a lot of sense to me. Um, oh, for sure. G- Groby mentioned uh, the Vietnam War and the fact that, you know, that was obviously pretty uh, intense fighting and like thick jungle and stuff. Uh, it felt like exactly the kind of place where people would easily slip into the abyss. Um, yeah, I-, I like the idea of, of war being, I-, I don't know. I mean, we saw some of this with, um, with uh, wh- whose interlude was it? Eamon's interlude? Um, yeah, uh, where he, he he was talking a bit about the war uh, from a practitioner perspective, and again, I just would love to see some packed stuff set in the war uh, in in a war. I don't know, like World War One, World War Two. I think that'd be so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there'd be a lot to work with. Yeah, uh, there for sure. Yeah. Um, anywho, those were some of the answers to our discussion question. Thanks everyone who left them. Um, those answers were left in our discussion threads, which is the place to go if you want to discuss the episode of uh, Pact or the episode of Deep Impact that you have just, uh, that we've just checked out. Um, the discussion thread for 9.6, this chapter will be linked down in the discussion, uh, in the episode description thingamajig.
1: Yep, yeah, uh, and if that wasn't clear enough for you, uh, you can also find all the information about Deep Impact you need and all the other shows on the Doof Network by heading to doofmedia.com.
0: Yes, uh, one, one thing that was just posted, it was just a mega show Wednesday uh two or three days ago two days ago uh, which means that mm. new episodes of a bunch of shows are out including MediaMD, our other show uh, where we were talking about the 2016 comic book adaptation of the flintstones one of the sharpest social social satires around in and out of comics according to hollywood reporter so if you want to <laughs> check that out uh you can find the latest episode of MediaMD on the website now
1: yeah i mean i definitely recommend checking that out i can't imagine many people have heard of this unless i'm living in some sort of bubble yeah. and uh it's definitely worth having a walk out these comics are weird
0: <laughs> yeah i i i'm really glad that i brought it to you i'm i'm very keen to get you into more weird comics in an attempt to uh you know <laughs> bring you into the medium um uh this show and all of the other great shows on the doof media network are patron backed which means that uh donations from our, our listeners is what helps keep these shows alive um mm. if you'd like to become one of those delightful listeners you can head on over to patreon.com slash doof
1: Yes, uh, and a little known fact about Wildbow is he's covered in tattoos of trees, and the mm-hmm. only thing that keeps them at bay is yep. his patron uh, supporters. So to feed head to Patreon.
0: slash Wildbow to uh, you know keep him intact and keep him writing. Yeah, um, otherwise he'll have to chew off one of his fingers and grind it down to bone, and then he will no't be able to type good. What, so
1: you, you use that to type. I mean, yeah.
0: Well, I'd oh, have to do all ten. Oh no, what's, okay. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, bit, got a bit gross there, I think. Um, <laughs> something that's definitely not gross is the social media network Twitter. Not gross at all. Uh, and if what? you want to check out our Twitter, you can find us at at MediaMDPodcast.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, so in a bit less than a day after this episode comes out, I'll be live reading at 9.x as we head to the the end of Arc 9. Yeah. Uh, the Drains Arc, I guess.
0: That's what they call it. Um, or the first
1: one I don't know
0: (laughs) oh yeah Drains Arc 1 we call it Um, (laughs) uh, so thanks for thanks for joining us folks our next episode will be an interlude 9.x and that will be coming out on Monday the 12th of August so we'll see you then see ya bye